Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 to 19, says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are so grateful that you speak to us in words that can be understood and known. We can know what your will is. It's not mysterious you speak it to us in your word we thank you for your word this morning i thank you for the presence of your spirit we thank you that jesus our high priest is at the right hand your right hand interceding for us praying for us he is our righteousness and so it's through him that we come to you and we plead with you father to open up the eyes of our understanding like the psalmist, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I pray that we would this morning see with the eyes of faith what you want us to see. Father, we are so needy. As the deer pants for flowing streams of water, our souls pant for you. We're needy and we desire you. And so I pray that you would meet us this morning and speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name, and amen. One of the great metaphors in the Bible of the relationship between Christ and the church is that of a shepherd with his flock. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And when he announces and that he is the good shepherd, we know that Psalm 23 is ultimately about Christ, our, our shepherd who leads us and guides us and protects us. So it's no surprise that leaders in the church are called shepherds or pastors and elders, overseers. Of course, we are under shepherds, under Christ, the head shepherd, but we are called shepherds. Pastors and elders are called shepherds and overseers. And they're called to serve faithfully and with the loving heart of Christ. I love this picture of Jesus, this wonderful, strong, gentle, faithful, protecting shepherd. And leaders are to lead in the same manner. And the church, the people of God, the congregation, are to respond to Christ and to his leaders with a happy and willing submission. When I, when I approached this passage this week, I honest, quite honestly was a little uncomfortable because it feels somewhat self-serving. Imagine going to, to lunch with someone after church, not someone part of this church, and they ask, what did your pastor preach on today? Oh, they taught that we have to obey him. <laughs> oh, okay, we have to submit to him. Um, I'm not embarrassed that this passage is in the Bible, though. And one reason I love preaching expositionally through books of the Bible, verse by verse, instead of just topics, kind of coming up with their own topics and addressing those things, is that you can't skirt biblical texts you may otherwise not teach on. 
This probably is not something I would normally want to teach on. What we have in this passage is the mutual responsibilities between leaders and pastors on the one hand and the congregation on the other. The the responsibilities of the congregation are explicit. Verse 17 says, obey your leaders. That's pretty straightforward. And submit to them. The responsibilities of the leaders are more implied, but I think they are very clear here as well. And so what I want to do is ask and answer three questions. I think this text answers three questions for us in regards to the, this mutual, the mutual relationship between pastors and leaders and the people that they shepherd and lead. Question number one is, what is the goal of leadership in the church? Question number two is, how should leaders pursue this goal? How should they approach it? And number three is, what should the response of the church be? So let's just go through these one at a time. What is the goal of leadership in the church? This is a huge, massively important question. The goal of leadership in the church is to get as many people to submit. I'm joking, I'm joking. No, that's not what it is. The goal of leadership in the church is very straightforward here. It's very clear. It is to profit the people they lead and serve. It's to benefit them. It is to be a blessing to them. It is to give them an advantage that they wouldn't otherwise have. The goal of leadership is for those being led to benefit and profit from those leading. The pastor, the leader, the shepherd must work for the good of his people, for their profit, for their benefit, for their good. If you owned a business and you had very little interest in profit, in profiting your customers, in benefiting them, in giving them an advantage with your product, you would not be in business long. And a pastor who has little to no interest in the actual benefit and blessing of his people has no business being a pastor. Verse 17 urges the church to do this. Let the leaders lead with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's a way of leading in which leaders, pastors, leaders, would not, be of an, would not give their people an advantage. It's clear the point is the benefit that pastors want to give their people is benefit for their souls specifically for the perseverance of the soul in faith all the way to the end. We've seen this over and over again in the book of Hebrews. But one verse we've, that's been cited over and over again, one verse for like the last three months, well, maybe six months, quite often, is Hebrews 10.39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. The aim of Hebrews is summed up, I think, in that verse. The aim of Hebrews is that you and I would have endurance so that we wouldn't shrink back and be destroyed, eternal destruction, but that we would persevere to the end and have our souls preserved and enter into paradise happy in Christ. The book of Hebrews is about perseverance. 
It's not about just getting the most out of this life. It's about perseverance. The emphasis is about not drifting. It's about continuing to the end of, in faith, not neglecting the salvation we have, not drifting like an anchorless boat, but continuing on with Christ, trusting him, believing in him, loving him, serving him all the way to the end. And we see this emphasized. I just read Hebrews 10, 39, but we see this over and over again. And it's often with a tone of seriousness, sobriety. Listen to Hebrews 2, 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Hebrews 3, verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold fast the, our original confidence firm to the end. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And on and on and on. Chapter 6, later in chapter 10, in addition to the verses I already read, chapter 12, you know this passage, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which, sin which clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame, is now seated at God's right hand. It's everywhere. Persevere to the end. It's, there, there's not, not a pinch of emphasis on this one time believing in Jesus, this one time being baptized. It is continuing with Christ to the end. Leaders after Christ's own heart have a passion to benefit their people with strength for the marathon of the Christian life. To give them strength, to help encourage them, to push them forward, to urge them forward in the Christian life and this endurance race that we are in. And therefore, Leaders, must, leaders and pastors must not look merely for external conformity to a tradition, like fall in line with a tradition, a man-made tradition, but rather be eager for the formation of the soul after Christ's likeness. Pastors and leaders must not be power-hungry looking simply to build their own kingdom, their own empire, caring little for the eternal souls that have been entrusted to them. Pastors must not merely care to make life better now. Like just make it better now. Just your best life now or something akin to that. No, no. We realize that souls, your soul, my soul, are eternal and they live on either in heaven forever in the glorious presence of Christ or in hell under God's wrath. Jesus said this, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Pastors and leaders care about the souls of their people. I don't know if this is true or not, but I I read somewhere quite a while ago that while the Titanic was sinking, bartenders were still serving drinks and the pianist was still playing to help people get along as they were sinking to their demise. And pastors ought not to be like that, trying to make life a little better now while people are on their way to eternal ruin. The goal of the pastoral ministry must be the eternal profit of souls. That's what, that's what Christ's shepherds, that's what shepherds, pastors, leaders after Christ's own heart long for. So you would be happy in Christ forever. That's what we long for here is that you would know Christ, walk with him, love him, and be happy in him forever. The Puritans, this group of men and women, well, men were the pastors, leaders from England and Scotland, from Europe that came here in the 1600s. Well, they were over there as well. They were often referred to as physicians of the soul. And J.I. Packer in his book, The Quest for Godliness, which is a fantastic book, says they were called physicians of the soul because their preeminent work was heart work. It was not just do this, do that. It was to form and tra- see, their, see people's hearts formed and transformed. Paul compares his ministry to a woman giving labor in Galatians 4.19. He said, my little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth, listen, until Christ is formed in you. Perhaps the the primary way pastors are called to labor for the benefit of their people is through preaching and teaching. Through the preaching, it's through opening God's word and preaching and teaching and explaining what God's word says. Through the ministry of God's word, we, we, we long to benefit your soul. Listen to what the Lord says, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 3.15. And listen to God's heart for his people and what he wants to supply to them. God says this, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's what, a, that's what a shepherd, a pastor, a leader after Christ's heart, that's what they want to do. That's what we want to do. After the resurrection of Jesus, he, look, he, he sought Peter out, right? Peter denied him three times. Jesus went to Peter three times and asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I, I do, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus asked again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus responded, tend my sheep. Jesus asked a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Christ loves his church and he wants 
leaders and pastors, shepherds after his own heart to be men who will labor to profit his people in many ways, in many, many ways. And of course, this applies to all kinds of leadership in the church. But he wants us to benefit the people in many, many ways, but primarily through the ministry of the word. So how should leaders pursue this goal? So we looked at what is the goal of leadership? It's to profit the people they're shepherding, they're leading. How should leaders pursue this goal? How should we pursue this goal of doing the most good? How should I pursue this goal of doing you the most good? Being the greatest blessing to you that I can be. Our text gives us three answers to this question. How do we pursue this goal? Three ways. With joy, one. Two, with watchfulness. And three, with reverence. Or maybe another way to put it, with seriousness, with sobriety. First, with joy. Pastors and leaders are to pursue the good of their people with joy. Verse 17, let them do this. Let the leaders watch over your souls with joy, the writer says. Not with groaning. Why? For that would be of no advantage to you. Joyless leaders do not benefit their people. Groaning, pouting, murmuring, angry pastors don't bless their people. And therefore, we must, be see- we must seek to be filled with the joy of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I, George Mueller, I think it was in his autobiography, um, he said something profound, I think. And I've, I remember this. I'm going to paraphrase because I didn't have time to look it up. But he said something that I think is profound. I've remembered ever since. It goes something like this. Because of all the responsibilities he had, he oversaw orphanages, he traveled and spoke and preached, well, ended up doing it all over the world. He said, I may, it was my primary duty, first thing in the morning, to be as happy in God as I possibly could be. And so he would spend much time in the morning in the word and in prayer seeking to have his heart filled with joy in God. Paul was a joyful minister. I want to grow to be more like Paul. When I read his letters, I I see it all over the place. There's many places I could turn, but I want to I just want to read a few verses for you out of a couple verses out of Philippians and one out of 1 Thessalonians. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1.4. Actually, one verse, verses 3 and 4, chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in prayer, excuse me, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. <laughs> he said, Church of Philippi, you are my joy and crown. First Thessalonians verses, or chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. This is amazing. Listen to what Paul says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting 
before our Lord Jesus at his coming, is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Paul benefited his people that he served much. He blessed them a ton. And one of the reasons is because he was filled with joy in serving them. Leaders must pursue the good of their people with joy because a joyless leader is of no advantage to them. Second, leaders must pursue the good of their people with watchfulness. I must seek your good and pastors and leaders must seek the good of their people with care and with watchfulness. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch of your souls. They are watching over your souls. Keeping watch. It means to be alert. It literally means to be sleepless or to stay awake. That's what pastors are to do. They're to be watchful over the souls of their people. What do they need to be so watchful for? Well, there's probably lots of reasons, lots of things, but I just want to mention a couple. To give guidance, one, and to defend and protect. One, to, to, to guide, to give guidance. A faithful pastor, a faithful leader is careful to guide, sometimes with a strong hand, especially when someone is getting off track. Like, it's like a, a sheep that's wandering and straying, and the shepherd needs to, with a strong hand and maybe a stiff rod, bring that sheep back. Think of the exhortations and warnings in the book of Hebrews aimed at those who are drifting, at those who are neglecting the faith, at those who are in danger of shrinking back. That is the leader, the, the author of Hebrews, loving his people, watching over the souls of those that he's writing to. When he speaks with strong exhortation to them. But watching over the souls of the people, a pastor also is concerned to protect them and defend them from wolves. Like a devoted shepherd, pastors and leaders, those who have the heart of Christ, they know the warning signs of lurking wolves and they are always ready to defend the people they love and care for. Paul gave instructions to the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 from verses 28 to 31. Let me read this to you. Listen to these words of Paul. He gave this, he gathered these elders together and he gave them this instruction. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained through his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted or perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert, stay awake. The leader who seeks to do the church he serves the most good will do so by watching over their souls. And finally, the pastor 
pursues this goal of blessing his people the most, he does it with reverence. He does it with seriousness. There's a weightiness to it. Leaders must seek the good of their people with reverence. Again, verse 17. Let me just read the whole thing. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are watching over your souls. Listen, as those who will have to give an account. Leaders are to pursue the good of their people with joy for sure. That's a non-negotiable. But it's not a trivial or a flippant kind of joy. Chummy, chummy joy. At least not only that. The pastors, the leaders' work is serious. They watch over souls as those who will give an account for their responsibility to watch over souls. Now you and I, each one of us, each one of us and every person who's ever lived on the face of the earth will stand before Christ as judge someday. Right? We, you and I, will stand before Jesus. We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says, and each one of us will receive what is due according to what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. That, that's, you and I all will do that, each one of us. But this says that leaders will also give an account for those that they led. James, um, I believe it's chapter 2, maybe it's chapter 3. It says, not many of you should desire to become teachers because you know that those who teach God's word will receive stricter judgment. The word account here comes from the Greek word, the word you probably, many of you have heard, logos. It's, it's a word that means word. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. But can, it, it can also be used in more of a general way and can, can be translated different words depending on the context. In this context, I think maybe a, a really good word that helps us understand what's, what, uh, what the author's trying to say is to answer, to answer for. The idea being conveyed here, I think, is that leaders will have to answer for the people they were called to lead. And think about the love that Jesus has for his church. He, he wants to call his shepherds, his under-shepherds, and say, how did you serve my sheep? Pastors are given a charge to care for souls and will answer to the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. The human soul that lives forever is invaluable. I think it was Spurgeon that said, the soul is a thing that's worth 10,000 worlds. A human soul is worth 10,000 worlds. Maybe that's hyperbole, I don't know. But it's invaluable. I will give an account, read and I will give an account. David, read and I will give an account. And, and in certain measures, the way that you lead others, think of parents with children, we will give an account of those that we, to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning those that we lead. That's pretty serious. That's not to be taken upon yourself with any kind of flippant, chipper, shallow sort of 
demeanor. This is the responsibility of leaders, pastors and elders in the church and leaders in other capacities. And my prayer is that we be found faithful and grow in this here at Real Life Church. So what should your response be? When I read the passage, maybe that's all you heard was your response. It's right up front there, right? What should your response be? How should you respond to the leaders God has placed in your life? Well, our text gives us two ways to respond. First is sincere submission. Sincere submission. Happy obedience, maybe another way to put it. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are watching over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them. I think when the author says, adds and submit to them, he's helping us understand the kind of obedience that's being called for. It's not the kind of obedience that children owe their parents. The word translated submit is only used here in the New Testament and it it means something like to make room for or to give way to or to not resist or to place yourself, to voluntarily place yourself under the care of. And I think what this means is that you should have a heart that's bent toward trusting and following the leadership God has placed in your life in this church. There should be an inclination in your heart toward the directives, toward the the initiatives that are set forth. If a vision set forth, there should be support and eagerness to work with your leaders and seeing it fulfilled. And all of this willingly and happily. Of course, this is not calling for any kind of unqualified support. Uh, The authority of pastors and leaders in the church is not absolute. Okay, there's one absolute authority in the universe, and that's God. Right? Amen? Can I get an amen for that? All right. Praise the Lord. Okay, one absolute authority, and it's God. Every pastor, the best leader in the world, is fallible. And so submission to faithful pastors and leaders is submission to fallible people. And therefore, it needs to be done out of reverence to Christ or reverence for Jesus. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now what is really striking here is the aim of your submission, and it's twofold. The aim of your submission is the joy of your pastor and leader. Isn't that amazing? The way that you respond to your leaders can give them great joy, can fuel their joy, or groaning. The opposite, right? Um, so that's, that's, right, that's, that's one aim, and it's also your good and advantage. It's your good. It's for your good. It's for your good. The, the people that, that buck against loving encouragement from pastors and sometimes stronger loving exhortation and prodding and then 
even sometimes strong rebuke and continue to buck against it, it has disastrous results in their lives. Disastrous. It's horrible for them. Of course, you have, the, you have the leader and pastor who just loves his place of authority and, and lords it over people and is domineering. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pastor who loves his people. He serves them the best he can. He serves them well, faithful to Christ. He has heart, Christ's heart, and he seeks to give instruction and correction. And those who buck against it, it can be ruinous for their lives. We probably have all seen that. The goal of your submission is not the power trip of your pastor. It's the joy of your pastor and your benefit. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are watching over your soul as those who will give an account. Let them do this. Let them do what? Watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning because that would be of no advantage to you. Your obedience and submission to your leaders, your pastor, your pastors and elders is for your good and is to be done out of reverence for Christ. Let me just give a couple of examples of what this might look like. Here's one. When you hear the word preached, right? Here's what we, here's what we do on Sundays. We open up the Bible we read a passage almost every week. I mean, just we read a passage, we seek to explain it, we exalt over it, we love God's word, so, and we seek to apply it to your hearts. When that happens, and you are a good Berean, so you want to know, all right, is what my pastor, is what he's saying, is it really what's in the Bible? And you determine it is. Here's what submitting to your leaders and pastor looks like. You take it to heart. You take to heart what he says, no matter what, no matter what he says, if it's out of the book, you take it to heart. And you do not be a forgetful hearer, but a faithful and active doer of what you've heard. Here's another example. When a new ministry idea or discipleship strategy or something like that, some kind of initi initiative or visions laid out, if it seems faithful to the good shepherd of the church, Jesus Christ. Have a heart that says this, I'm in. Tell me what I can do to help. Out of reverence for Christ, submit to your leaders. Amen? Number two, here's how you respond. Passionate prayer. Verses 18 and 19. Wow, we're finally getting to verses 18 and 19. Um, and I'm just going to read the first phrase from each verse. I Pray for us, the author says. Pray for us. And then verse 19, I urge you all the more to do this. And so he, he says, and I'm just going to repeat what he says, pray for us. Would you pray for us? And I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm begging you, would you please pray for us? Pray for wisdom and help and effectiveness and ministry. You know, Paul was not bashful in asking for prayer. If there's someone who maybe was like kind of Superman and didn't need prayer, 
of, of all the people in the Bible, it maybe is Paul. He's unbashed, he is unashamed to ask for prayer. At the end of Ephesians, at the end of Colossians, at the end of 1 Thessalonians, he's asking for prayer. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about the power of prayer and the church's prayer for their pastor. Take this to heart. Here's what he says. What can we do without your prayers? Your prayers link us with the omnipotence of God. Like the lightning rod, they pierce the clouds and bring down the mighty and mysterious power from on high. The Lord give me a dozen persistent pleaders and lovers of souls and by his grace we will shake all of London from end to end. Amen. Pray for us. Would you pray for us? Pray for our joy. Pray that we would be faithful to watch over your souls and that we would do it with eagerness and with joy and with seriousness. Pray that we would be serious in this mighty and wonderful work. Pray for our preaching in the ministry of God's word. That it would be powerful, that it would have the touch of God's spirit upon it. That it would transform your lives. Pray that our preaching would change you and your families and the lives of more people. And I'll say this, pray for our families. Pray for our families. There's a brother and a sister, I don't want to embarrass them, in this church, when I see them almost without question, I'm praying for you and your wife and kids. And I love that. I know that they are. And it blesses me tremendously. Pray for our ministry in serving you. There's an old saying. I think it's a saying among Dutch pastors, and I'm Dutch, so here we go. It's my saying now, all right? It goes like this. Pray me full, and I will preach you full. You pray me full, and I will preach you full, and I promise I will. Every time. That'd be my, that's my goal, every time. I mean, <laughs> by God's grace, Lord help. Okay, does that sound like a good deal? Amen. Jesus, the great shepherd of, his, of, of the church, he wants his church, he wants this church to be richly blessed. In John 10.10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And you and I, you and the leaders of this church, we can work together toward that end. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I give you praise and thanks for your incredible love for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is your great love for your people. And of all that you've given to the son, our Lord Jesus Christ says, Father, I will not lose one of them. He is a faithful shepherd and he will keep us to the end. But he won't do it without using means, without using people like us together. And so, Father, I pray that we would see ourselves as having this mutual responsibility here in this body 
certainly to each other, members of one another, but also, as we learned this morning, the leaders of this church, to your beloved people, and your people, the congregation, to the leaders. Help, Father, I just pray that you would help us to be faithful. Help me to be faithful. Strengthen me by your spirit to be faithful and effective. And strengthen your people, Father, to be effective and mighty in their work. In the name of Jesus, we pray this in his mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Would you please stand? This is a benediction out of Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And amen.